Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, investigating autistic presence and expression on screen. This podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project, based at Queen Mary, University of London, and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on this project, please visit our website, autism-through-cinema.org.uk, and follow us on Twitter, at Autism Cinema. This podcast brings together a group of autistic and non-autistic thinkers, academics and cinema lovers for discussions on films and TV programmes with a particular autistic interest. We look at the representation of autism, the ethics of performing autism, as well as where autistic expression may have been captured, sometimes inadvertently, by the movement of the camera and the use of sound and imagery. We are always interested in our listeners' thoughts, comments and feedback, so please do share these with us by dropping us an email at cinemaautism at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to the podcast and share our episodes far and wide. In today's episode, the team discuss the 2013 science fiction film Under the Skin, directed by Jonathan Glazer. In this recording, you will hear the voices of David Hartley, Alex Widowson, Janet Harbord, John James Laidlow, and Georgia Kumari Bradburn. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Okay, so Under the Skin is a 2013 science fiction film directed by Jonathan Glazer, starring Scarlett Johansson, loosely based on a book by Michelle Faber, which I haven't read, so I'm not quite sure what the, how loose that is, but I, th- I think it's quite loose. <laughs> Um, It was filmed on location mostly in Glasgow and in other more rural parts of Scotland. And it tells the tale of uh, a kind of alien invasion uh, with Johansson playing an unnamed alien disguised as a woman who uh, prowls the streets of Glasgow in her van, uh, picking up random men and luring them to her lair, which is in a kind of decrepit house on the edges of Glasgow, all sorts of things. Um, And this lair is a sort of strange portal i guess where the men sort of follow the seductive alien across this black void and then are absorbed into a, a pool of liquid uh, at which point they sit, they appear to be kind of harvested i think for their for their internal organs and their blood and so on um, and then gradually throughout the film the alien woman uh, decides that she doesn't want to be part of this process for various reasons anymore and she makes a kind of bid for freedom uh, pursued by an unspeaking man on a micro- on a motorbike who I think we can probably assume is another alien and appears to be her boss or a handler of some kind. She escapes to a kind of rural, more rural part of Scotland where she encounters a, a kind of kindly man at first um, and then later a kind of aggressive uh, would-be rapist who only stops his attack when he tears the human's skin suit uh, and sort of reveals the alien underneath. Uh, so this is quite a strange film. Um, it's quite abstract and it's quite cold at times, I think. Um, but it, and it tells its story with uh, minimal dialogue and um, minimal action and kind of minimal explanation as well. We never really get a, a full explanation as to quite what's going on. Um, and also it's worth saying that there are quite many quite remarkable scenes of real-life Glasgow filmed with secret cameras and quite a lot of the actors are... are or non-actors and, and people who didn't realise they were being filmed at the time, which is quite unusual and interesting. Um, so I brought this along here because what's the autistic context, right? So it's worth saying, I think, first of all, that there's um, there doesn't really appear to be any autistic intent in the film. There's none of the characters are explicitly named as being autistic. Uh, there's no not- noted autistic involvement in the cast or crew, as far as is known. Um, but this is a film which deals, like much of science fiction, with some themes, I think, that are common to autistic experience. So uh, alienation, uh, loneliness, miscommunication, social difficulties, and a kind of general feeling of otherness. Um, and also, it's it's worth noting that there's a kind of deliberate effort on the part of Glazer to create an aesthetic uh, which views the so-called everyday um, from a kind of non-typical outsider's perspective, which which again might might resonate with with autistic way of seeing things. Um, but I want I want to just say as well uh, before we move into more discussion that um, it, it's worth noting that there are many things that Johansson's alien character does, uh, which 
totally kind of lack any kind of shred of human empathy, um, particularly in the first half of the film, and actually quite horrible to watch in some at some points. And I did want to just be careful right from the start to sort of not equate this element of her character with autism necessarily, um, because I think there is uh, there's a lot of false assumptions that autistic people don't feel or express empathy, which has always been a, a very damaging and, de- and quite dehumanizing concept. But I think there is value to of looking at a film like Under the Skin uh, and similar sort of science fiction type films with this autistic perspective because there's a really interesting exploration of uh, yeah alienation, otherness, and feeling sort of distinct from um, from the so-called normal. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of my opening gambit there. Um, uh, and I think I, I lump under the skin in with a, with a few fairly recent science fiction films that deal in, in similar ways with with these kinds of uh, themes. So I, I think of the, the the recent Blade Runner film as well, and the um, the film Arrival was another one that that's, that, that I've been interested in recently. But anyway, that's those are my thoughts. Thanks very much, Dave. Does anyone want to come in? I was quite. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't uh, expecting this film necessarily to be associated with autism. Um, I'd seen it in the past and think my thoughts back on it were one of sort of, um, I mean, I can understand the sort of sense of otherness that the lead protagonist experience, and maybe that's an interesting metaphor. But, you know, I must admit I was distracted by this sort of metaphor of the alien in the playground that sort of haunted my practice. I've been looking at animated documentaries where analogies like that have been used and they're so problematic to sort of position the autistic um, as this sort of total other uh, on the wrong planet, let's say. Um, and those sort of comparisons have always been very problematic. So I'm, I'm really glad, Dave, that you've sort of highlighted those problematic connections in this project, um, this, this uh, feature film. But it's also, I mean, there's there's certain aspects of the film that are just so troubling and so just uh, sort of disturbing that you wouldn't uh, sort of want them to be the natural territory for analysis of disability. Um, you know, there's this whole rape plot at the end um, set up after we've had this long experience of a sort of old fashioned femme, uh, f- um, femme fatale, this sort of predator. Um, when I was watching the film, I had very much the sort of same experience of watching um, the uh, music video for the Prodigy song Smack My Bitch Up. <laughs> is um, a sort of first-person perspective of of someone having a really loutish evening and and sort of ambling their way through a nightclub and doing all sorts of awful uh, awful things, including assaulting women. And then right at the end, you sort of reveal that it's a woman the whole time. And the sort of trick is that you're like, oh, see, you've subverted sort of notions of sex and gender. Um, but really, it's a male director. And there's nothing feminine about or female about any of the aspect of it, apart from the fact that two female actors were hired. And I had the similar experience with this film where it seems very much like a sort of male gaze all the way through the film, uh, just a slight inversion where this sort of predatory creature sort of strolls the streets looking who to sort of, uh, who might be their sort of um, sexual prey. and. It was, I was just so dominated by these, these themes that I found it quite difficult to sort of relate to uh, notions of autistic experience. Um, so I just wanted to say my sort of the things that were distracting me from the topic before I could really engage. <laughs> so that's, that was my, my perspective. I mean, I think, I think it's really interesting that there's, there is the problematic alien association that the film raises around autism and and also the metaphor of the skin you know but the autistic yeah. person is locked inside who can't really get out there so there's yeah. an of that with it too but on the other hand i think it does this reverse perspective it it, it brings that into view which is I mean, I think science fiction does that anyway, that it sort of brings humanity into view. You know, what, what do we mean by humanity? And we sort of assume lots of positive connotations for that. And actually, in this film, there's something really enjoyable 
about her anthropological gaze. You know, she is like this, this observing anthropologist who has gone to another culture. You know, if we ignore the fact for a minute that she comes from another planet, if we just take it sort of to be a mode of observation from the outside. Um, I find those scenes really enjoyable, that, and particularly from the perspective of a woman. And I, just thinking about what you were saying then, Alex, about the the way in which the that gaze, the gendering of the gaze is really, really prevalent in the first part of the film. I have to confess that what I really enjoyed about that was her lack of fear. Um, you know, as a woman who has been in those you know, out in those sorts of environments at night, it feels quite fearful. Um, you know, if you're if a woman being out on her own in Glasgow or any big city where everyone's kind of quite leery and drunk, the film's got a brilliant retake on that, that this woman is sort of cruising that whole scenario. Um, I, I don't know, I, I, I found that really quite pleasurable and almost funny, you know, in the, in the reversal. Um, so I, I really liked that Um that, that way that the film brought that into view. And I think it carries on with something around looking throughout the film. There's something about who gets to look. And in that scene in which we see the woman, Scarlett Johansson, later on looking at herself in the mirror, um, there, there seems to be this questioning about what bodies mean, what gendered and sexed bodies mean. And, and, and that runs through it as, as much as the metaphor of the alien to me, or that's, that's part of what the alien brings into view is what do we mean by gender and sex? Yeah, because just jumping off the back of that, because uh, there's some interesting, I think the, for me, the most interesting and surprising moment potentially in it is when we get to see the kind of liquid tank underneath the when the men are absorbed and there's the tomb there's the man who's already been there for for a while and the man who's okay. newly been absorbed and there's that really oddly touching moment where they reach out and hold hands with each other and you think these are two quite you know quite larry blokey manly men who were who were at that, that moment of weird peril or kind of like reaching out for each other in a quite weirdly strange horrible horrifying but also quite gentle interesting moment i thought yeah that's sorry that was just a thought that sprung off that yeah i had a different interpretation of the skin and more more in terms of like masking and mm. and also there's a bit near the beginning where there's lots of shots of um sort of the makeup assistance in the shop um doing people's makeup and then Scarlett Johansson puts on lipstick and I thought that's um that seems like she's watching and performing gender in a neurotypical way um and I think that's something that I felt um re-watching the film is she sort of she uses more neurotypical methods of communication and interaction to sort of um get get what she wants and needs it did slightly remind me of um Saganoriem from the bridge where she picks up the guy in like the first or second episode he says do you want a drink and she says no and he walks off and she says something like why did you walk away i, I, I want to have sex and then they have sex and then she just ignores him and it it, it kind of felt a bit similar to that but different in a way as well Mm. Um, I, th I thought it was interesting what Dave mentioned about filming the public because I did think about that when I was watching it again I was like how did how did they get all these people to sign release forms and stuff <laughs> um, but uh, yeah in terms of consent around filming it's quite interesting because a lot of autistic people are filmed especially children having meltdowns etc and put online without their consent it was quite a interesting idea of that reversal um yeah 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 that's a really good really interesting point actually it's a really interesting connection to make and and you're right there's a i was thinking that as well this time and i think i didn't think that first time through when i when i watched it when it first came out about that idea of cons people consenting to being filmed it's quite a i don't know it feels like a more of a, a an intense topic at the moment and I was sort of watching these things and thinking do these people really want to be in this film or like I think the, the ones that actually have 
interaction with Scott Johansson and talk to her in her van and so on. That afterwards they were asked and they were and they were fine with it. But um, there are quite a lot of scenes where it just shows quite a lot of people just out generally in the streets of Glasgow. And I think this is some, there's something odd here about uh, about secret surveillance that feels not doesn't feel quite so comfortable anymore. I think back in back when it first the film first came out, there was a kind of feeling of oh yeah, this is fun. And now it's kind of like, mm, I'm not so sure about this, but an interesting way of going about it, nevertheless, I think. I think um, if you put up notices for 24 hours beforehand in a public space, you oh, can then um, film without asking permission. Oh, can you? Right, okay, interesting. Yeah. But it, do, it does raise the question of consent, doesn't it, this film? Yeah. That way, when you see people looking in, into the camera, you think, oh, they probably didn't know that this was going to be a film. And I think from, from some of the background reading I did, the, the scenes in the van were very much um, predicated on, on guys getting into the van who didn't know it was Scarlett Johansson and mm. ad-libbing in those scenes. So I think that, I think ideas of consent are definitely um, part of the process of making this as, as well as being something that we, we can't help registering as we watch. Mm. <clears throat> Sorry, I really liked um, the the many layers of um, sort of identity. So you like obviously you have the people who are genuinely being authentic. You know they're they're not even actors or like part of the film. They're just people on the street, um, like the people in the van. And then the the main character is actually the complete opposite. It's a complete artificial. Um, personality, you know, she's literally wearing someone else's skin. When I was looking at it and I was trying to think, okay, how can I see this as, you know, if I was going to interpret some, like, autism through this, um, I did find it quite difficult in in that she's, you know, she's an alien, and I, I do, and that can obviously be quite, like, a damaging, a damaging trope. And as well, I think with autism, it's less of being an alien in an, in the environment and actually... Well, being an alien in an environment that you've always been in, um, rather than that you've just come for the first time and you're seeing these people for the first time, like with fresh eyes. So I, I don't know. I found I, I found it quite interesting to think of it that way, um, but it did it did raise some some questions as to, as to like you know um, how ethical it is to to think of it in that way, especially since you know what she's doing is essentially like luring people to their death or to be harvested. Um, cause I, that, cause that being the intention, um, I don't know. Again, that's quite a very literal reading of it in terms of what we're talking about. But, um, what, uh, John James said in terms of like the idea of masking, I thought it was very interesting because it is done in like a very literal sense. You know, she's she's copying the things that she sees that, that the camera actually shows as like authentic things that are actually happening. And then it cuts it that juxtaposition of that realism with, you know, a famous Hollywood actress, you know, mimicking that. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting because, again, there's a sense of the casting as well is quite ingenious because it, she's kind of somewhere that she doesn't belong. You know, if, if you saw Scarlett Johansson in the middle of Glasgow <laughs> driving around in a van, it, it's not, it fe feels really strange. It was a really weird mix of genre, but that sort of contributed to that feeling of alienation. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have to say, I, I was thinking that a lot. That preoccupied me a lot in, at the beginning of the film. Like, and I was thinking, you know, it sort of, it switched me out of the film in some moments. It's like, what must Scarlett Johansson be making of working class Glasgow on a Saturday night? <laughs> so she sort of came out of character for me at those, at those points. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a really good observation, that a really interesting one that she... Um, she's out of place in terms of, of casting in this film. She's curious, actually, because she's, she's, she's had a bit of a, a, a run of films where she plays this sort of a character that's kind of an alien-y, kind of cyborg-y, kind of slightly out of place, side of science fiction-y figure. Uh, she has, she's done a few films in, in recent years that have 
place her in that. Not unproblematically, actually. Like she did the the remake of Ghost in the Shell a couple of years ago, and that was uh, there was there was a lot of uh, controversy about that because that's such a a film which is so tied in with its uh, original nation. Um, I wanted to just say about the 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 the. The discussions about the fact, you know, sort of equating autism with alienness, which is something that I've um, been concerned with a lot over the last few years, which simply because I've been researching this um, representations of science, science fiction, and 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 autism, and this idea of uh, autistic people being aliens or being uh, robotic as well is another thing. Um, cropped up time and time again, and it is it is very very problematic. You know, this idea that. Autistic people are others. They're dehumanized, uh, they're unhuman or inhuman in some ways, or lack empathy or lack human traits. But I think what I find interesting about the positioning of autism with the alien figure, and um, this is one of the things that I think draws that this film starts to draw out, is um, when we when we have a, a character like Scarlett Johansson's alien. Uh, that we are attached to, I think, as viewers throughout the film and empathise with, I think that process of empathising with the alien other and understanding that the alien other encounters difficulties through their their alienness or... or, or um, uh, that's one of the, th- the ways in which that kind of sci-fi mirror gets turned on on everyone, on, on, on the world in general. And I think that's something that science fiction is constantly doing, and fantasy does it to a certain extent, to say that, look, you know, human beings aren't the be-all and end-all. They're not the greatest thing in the world um, because we, we always have this tendency to treat the other in really negative and bad ways. Um, and what I think things I think that is really remarkable about this film is that the scene at the end when she's her skin is literally pulling off and we and the the alien is un- revealed underneath and it's this kind of strange black totally black figure um who is staring down at, at the face it was just wearing it's a really it's quite an unsettling scene in many ways but i think about whether if that scene had sort of in some way occurred near the beginning we might have found it intensely horrifying i think because it's occurred at the end and we've been through this journey and been through this story with this character it's actually quite sad and quite beautiful in some ways this 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 strange moment where you've got this scene of horror where she's kneeling in the snow and looking at her own face um and i think there's something there about yeah uh, of finding ways to get people to empathize with something that is not classically human or like um, not classically human, but like is not, um, you know, human in that kind of way that we tend to think about of the usually the white man who is like dominating everything, but actually to think of different variations of life and different variations of uh, intelligence. And of course, it's like within this film, it's an alien. So it's quite clearly an alien. But when we kind of like move that out into other realms, then we can start to think about other ways of thinking, which is what neurodiversity is all about. And and even ways of thinking which involve the non-human, like animal ways of thinking and so on. I think that's kind of, that's what I try and reach for when I think about the connection between autism and the metaphor of the alien, I suppose. What do people think of empathy in the film? On the back of what Davis just said, that the film invites us to have a form of affinity with the character, possibly identify with her. Are there any other moments in the film where, where empathy is foregrounded? I guess I'm thinking about things like the, the scene on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> so we see, uh, I think he's a Czech tourist um, that she approaches, who then sees a man who's saving his wife who, and she's saving her dog. So there's this kind of almost comical relay of a set of empathetic acts that happen there. And I wasn't quite sure where that fits in this in the schema of the film, of whether this is 
because it seems to me that there's sort of empathy is possibly not what she's viewing between people when she's observing people on the streets. They're not necessarily being kind to each other. There's some sort of revelry going on, but there's um, it's not necessarily that it's a world that is viewed in a in a kind of that we see people operating and acting towards one another in a way that it shows um, kind of uh, recognition of otherness. But in this moment, we do. It is absolutely a relay of different different empathetic acts that all kind of happen very quickly. Um, but was is it the fact that the tourist comes from elsewhere that he's very very you know obviously signed as as as, as com- uh, coming from another country and that's the exchange that he has with Scarlett Johansson's character. Just wonder what people thought of that. Um, so well, the the video essay I made actually started off as something different about empathy, but I couldn't quite get my thoughts together to make it about that in the end but it just feels like um I don't know I would question if empathy is like the 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 highest most moral quality we can achieve and and if people experience empathy differently is that such a bad thing because you can still Scarlett Johansson doesn't or her character doesn't experience empathy in the same way as others around her, but through through the story of the film, she chooses to not to not prey on people anymore. And sometimes I feel like like the burden of proof, but the burden of empathy is on autistic people having to understand everyone around them. Whereas neurotypical people, um, more often they they're granted that they might not be able to understand autistic people the same and. So that comes through in, in sort of simulations of autism in in awareness. So, yeah, I feel like uh, non-neurotypical people have to have to have almost over overperform empathy to be considered empathetic, whereas neurotypical people might get a pass to not be as empathetic because they don't understand how you think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's something I thought about. Yeah, I think I completely agree with that. And, and I I think that the idea that empathy can be performed by neurotypical people is, is, is absolutely the case. And I think we get moments of that in this film, don't we, where it might seem that a character is being kind towards her. I mean, I think the, the guy who she meets on the bus and ends up going home with, there's there's this kind of quite an um, ambiguous story that opens there where he seems, you know, the bus driver assumes that he might be kind of hassling her and tells him to leave him alone, but actually he takes her home, he, he cares for her. And then the sex scene happens and it's not quite sure whether, we can't be clear whether Scarlett Johansson knows what's happening and her status as an alien. And it and I think that's the scene where I was certainly wondering, you know, what, who, who's experiencing what, what is happening here? It wasn't, it wasn't clear that, it was okay for this guy to assume that they were having sex, but also it wasn't not okay. You know, maybe she was exploring that that sexual side of herself. I guess that comes back to consent again, and like we talked about the filming of of members of the public, and something I thought about consent was the the figure of the the motorcyclist, the the that guy that's not really named um when I was re-watching this with autism in mind he did come off as maybe like an overbearing carer figure <laughs> like he's he's um he sort of tidies up after Scarlett Johansson's mistakes but then he 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 sort of oversteps the boundaries and he he thinks he knows what is best even when Scarlett Johansson doesn't want his help anymore. I was I was thinking about the sort of coding of social convention and um you know the the role Johansson plays in this. I mean it's a it's a short period of time and actually what we're looking at is 
um, an entity who's very rapidly developing fluency in social codes from the opening scenes where she's learning the, the basic language of English to the closed scenes when she's learning languages of sex and then also some of the more the realities of consent and, and rape. And so, I mean, the arc is of rapid transition as opposed to sort of, um, you know, difficulties in engaging with existing conventions. It's more to me like a story of, um, of acquisition uh, and passing um, very rapidly. So in many ways, um, I'm not sure if the metaphor of the sort of autistic difference um, maintains, if you know what I mean. Um, it's all, but then maybe we just come straight back to the idea of performativity and um, and that in sort of empathy and in and in uh, social interaction. I mean, one of the things that struck me again about that and about the ending moment, which is a really difficult um, bit at the end. But that, one thing that I was thinking when I was thinking of this from an autistic point of view was, um, and we sort of touched upon this already, yeah, the, this idea that, um, again, it's difficult to say that uh, an, an autistic people, you know, there's, a lot, there's also a lot of metaphors about autistic people being trapped within shells, within like an outer shell that looks like, normality and actually inside there's a there's there's a trapped figure in there and i think that, that that's another difficult metaphor to navigate but one of the things that did consider was um that uh, the at the moment where she's being attacked by the by the woodsman at the end and and he rips that skin suit and sort of re reveals that there's a kind of alien figure inside for me it made me think of the reactions, the negative reactions that some neurotypical people can have when discovering that someone they're involved with is autistic and is not actually a, a neurotypical person, and um, and the kind of kind of violent and extreme reactions that can take place. I'm particularly thinking of of, of parents and their autistic children, really, uh, and and. Again, that's a, an, another problematic uh, avenue, but it's it made me think. Yeah, you know this this man who is not a nice man and who's not a nice person at all. Anyway, he's he's attempting to to rape Scarlett Johansson's character, but has that kind of visceral reaction of going, "This person is not what I thought they were. I have to completely reject them as much as I possibly can and run away and get away and get them out of this world." Really, and that I thought I had some some resonance to the ways in which autistic people and neurodivergent people generally have been have been treated. Um, which again ties into this alien figure because the, the, there seems to be this this reaction to to reject uh, alienness, to reject otherness as much as possible, um, and to protect what is considered to be normality and what is considered to be the real and the proper and the and and who should exist, I guess. Um, yeah, so that was one of the things that sort of occurred to me at that at that moment. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's that's a really good point about whether that, that impulse to destroy difference once it's exposed is, is what we experienced at the end of that film. Um, I just wanted to ask people about that sequence because things really turn around, don't they, where she's being the predator in, in from the safety of the van in the first part of the film, and then we're we're put into this landscape, this natural landscape in the, in the last third of the film. Um, she leaves the city, she travels out, and then we find her in the woods, and it's kind of archetypal landscape. She's kind of little red riding hood suddenly. There's something else happening here um, where she's being chased, where her footing is really unsure. The, la you know, the, the, the feel of the forest beneath her feet is foggy, she can't move very quickly. There's something of a, of a nightmare quality to that part of the film. Um, and I, and I guess I, it, it, it seems that there was something much more um, about her curiosity about the world 
that she's in that is is being destroyed in that in that part and we we are we are exposed to sort of her even that moment when she's dying and what we see is the point of view of the snowflakes falling from the sky that she seems to be able to register you know the landscape the beauty has inquisitiveness for that um, in a way that we can see being destroyed i'm just wondering if that's how other people experience that part of the film or how other people experience that part of the film um, I guess when you mentioned the safety of the van, that is something that I picked up on, that the van was a source of safety, but it also kept the world out. Like there was a, there was a, a barrier to experiencing the world. Um, and I think that's something that I've, I've experienced in the past, past is that you know, put up these, these barriers um, of safety, but then it's sort of, it's also kept me separate. Um, so that, yeah, that would tie into what you said about a more sort of, um, yeah, experiencing the world more fully. There's something um, beautiful about that, but also scary. Um, yeah, I think quite a lot of the film, the feeling it, it I feel is is it's similar to a disassociation, um, and and yeah, not really feeling part of the world or in your body. And then I guess that would tie into where she's literally looking at the skin she's been wearing at the end, like face to face, like she's not. She's not at home in that body. Um, mm. Yeah, she's outside of it. There is that moment as well. They're talking about the safety of the van, where at the end, where she's running away, and she finds the the big um, the big truck with the, all the logs on the back, and she gets into the, the the kind of cabin. And for a moment, there is that kind of feeling of she has she's made it back to the to her place of safety to her. To the place where she is in control, <clears throat> which is in the, the, the you know the cabin of a of a of a big vehicle, um, and so there's a kind of slither almost there at that point of you know it's a, it's dramatic tension really, but there's a slither of hope that she's she's found her way out and and she will be able to escape. So she's climbing in that car, and you think, oh yeah 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 no, she does know how to drive cars, so she should be able to get out of this. That's all right, kind of thing. Um, so it's interesting that you do we do have that kind of that juxtaposition, I suppose, of the van that she is so um, intensely associated with um, and has left behind and has abandoned and suddenly has this moment where she possibly has that safety again, but then abandons it or it, or it finds that it's it's not there for her anymore. And what's interesting as well, it's worth mentioning the the music, I think, because there's, um, there's uh, long periods of time in this film where the, the, the music cuts away and music drops out. And I think this is a, one of them, if I remember it rightly, when she's in the woods at the end, and then suddenly the the hunting music comes back into it, but the situation has reversed so that she's now the one that is being hunted and being pursued. Um, and the the music by Mika, Mika Levy, um, Mika Levy, I think, uh, is at that point really, I think, really effectively used because it's been... It's this creepy, strange, alien-sounding music that has been with us all the way through and has been a little bit unsettling, and now it's flipped back on to her, and it's it's quite devastating in a way. It's almost like a, a sort of it's it's robbed us of of what of how we've been connected to that music and um, really puts a puts an emphasis on that on that moment. I think perhaps it's supposed to indicate that she is coming to a realisation about what she's been doing as a hunter um, and the situation she's been putting her prey into now that she has effectively become prey herself. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know. You, you don't really get much of an insight into quite what the alien is, is thinking or how her thoughts are developing throughout the film. Um, it's a very slowly and incrementally done, I think, and... Uh, so it, it's hard to say, but yeah, that was one of the things that, that occurred to me at that point. Just speaking of um, earlier when we were talking about being in our car and feeling safe, uh, Gary Newman's song started ringing out. 
<laughs> and I remembered he's he's got an Asperger's diagnosis as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was that song was very literally about a place that he found safe to uh, exist within. Yeah, there's some quite there's some quite odd cultural references in there with with the thinking about the scene with Tommy Cooper on the TV yeah. and that absurdist comedy and the Scarlett Johansson's character just, you know, just can't understand what's happening at quite a nice moment. And then another moment when there's Prefab Sprout playing on the radio and she begins to tap her fingers at the song. Mm. Beginning to engage with, with that music. Mm. Or at least trying to, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't feel that I don't get the sense from her that she's that she's necessarily feeling that she has to develop. It's a sense of empathy. It's more my sense is that she's trying to understand this culture that's quite inexplicable. You know, mm. mostly from this from from the safety of the van, the, you know, the way in which the windows of the van operate as a screen and kind of make us aware of our looking. Uh, my sense is that we're we're sort of with her looking at how inexplicable this, this culture is. And I mean, the food doesn't come off very well either, but you people eating. Mostly it looks really quite disgusting. And when we see her eating that Black Forest Gatto or something, and then she's sick, there's, mm. there's, a really, there's a really big question about, you know, are the people, what's more horrifying, the people's horror in that restaurant at her being sick or, or her having to eat something that looks actually quite repulsive. <laughs> Um, I, I wanted to ask a, a bit more about this idea of the skin that John James and, and Georgia, you, you picked up on, that the idea of, um, of, of the skin is a bit like her, her masking. Um, and I'm wondering if that feels as though it's something quite... Um, quite gendered that we see in this film around masking or or, or is it more generically a, a sense of masking as I think I think it definitely is gendered um I mean like her her goal is to like get these men to the void so that they can harvest them but she has to do that through like seduction and stuff like that but also at the same time I mean she does that a lot of through her appearance and how she how she looks but her, her conversation is actually very straightforward she's asking very um you know general questions like very straight away since so she meets him like you know where are you going are, are you going home um so I think it it, it, it's quite a strange mix because obviously and, and obviously interesting for the people who aren't like actors in the film and their response to it you know it's like an attractive woman driving a van asking you where you're going and then their sort of kind of grim fascination with it um you know it, it was quite interesting because I mean if if you were to look at it in a sense of her masking and and putting on an act essentially um it's quite a, it's quite a strange juxtaposition between like the sexed element of it and you know her just trying to actually i don't know make a bond with these people and i think a, a huge turning point for her and in terms of like her job and her empathy is when she encounters the uh the man with the facial deformities and I will say I'm not really a huge fan of of when films kind of use people with with disability actual disabilities or facial deformities as like you know a, as a plot point as a beat in the story because I, I do find it quite exploitative yeah. but uh, I I thought that's that's a moment where she can connect with someone and her empathy in that moment you know she 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 lets she lets him go essentially not in you know a very nice way but she spares him i think she possibly re actually genuinely relates to him in a way and his feeling of alienation um and even even in an attempt to connect with him is very difficult because of that alienation so i don't know if there's something in there about you know 
trying to find connections with people or with similar people and and whether that you know helps with empathy or not I was um I mean as we've been discussing for the last few minutes about this idea of um both reciprocity where um the tables are turned and um sort of the different levels of empathy and domination over others uh, Hegel's master slave dialectic came into mind quite a lot this idea that um we encounter the other and end up in various situations where we either struggle for dominance over the other which is sort of the predatory nature of those interactions or we end up in a negotiation where one person and we end up in a negotiation where one is subservient to the other so uh, Scarlett Johansson is very much subservient to the the bicycle rider the uh, motorcycle man and then right at the end when in that moment of uh, reversal where um the uh woodsman sort of ends up in a struggle for, to death again um when encountering the other rather than going for domination they they end up in murdering her and so all these iterations of the hegelian dialectic of master and slave sort of are the sort of foundation for from the hegelian perspective on on how to deal with otherness and difference and the various consequences of interacting with those who are different and how it challenges our own sense of identity and the identity of others um so that was just sort of swirling around in my head as we spoke about this i thought i'd raise it see if you guys uh, can connect with that in terms of autistic difference i'm not sure how it relates but certainly the idea of being challenged by someone's dis difference resulting in various forms of conflict and negotiation and power dynamics is there certainly de Beauvoir used it in her sort of feminist uh, critique the second sex um yeah well yeah I think that's interesting in terms of what Georgia was saying um about uh, his name Adam Pearson the actor who was uh, with the facial uh, disfigurement and and how that interaction is is one in which she as the master i suppose is disarmed by this different kind of person that she's she's picked up and what's i i i don't know that's the the, the one thing in this film that, that troubles me is as you were saying georgia is the kind of the use of um a person with facial disfigurement as a kind of story beat because that is that is problematic always it always is going to be and although i know you know that i know that adam pearson is an actor and and he's been in other things and uh, it was all handled very very carefully but it is a it is still a, a problematic in a, in a narrative sense but what is interesting is uh, how that fits into the context of this particular story of this yeah, as you say, there's this alien master enslaving others, I guess, and yet is sort of disarmed by this this curious difference that she encounters. And it's not as if she she's taken aback necessarily when she sees the man's face. There isn't a kind of reaction where she goes, oh, wait a minute, this is different. She's She treats him as she treats every other man that she, that she um, pulls into that van. And it's only through that yeah that curious conversation that she has with him where she seems to realize that there is perhaps something more to this world and this planet than she previously had thought there was i guess i mean i i think that does actually fit in within the um master slave dialectic because mm. uh, it's only where difference um becomes overwhelming that people sort of well within this model revert to some sort of conflict and so the implication is that what she discovered in Adam Pearson is a sense of um, this herself in him, a sort of sense of um, recognition and mutual recognition um, as outsiders that resulted in um, uh, compassion for him. I mean, unfortunately, I think the the uh, sort of motorcycle rider does capture him afterwards anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, no true uh, sort of relief is really provided for the audience. No, it's a very bleak film in many ways. <laughs> And I, I guess that's what happens in terms of gender. The, the men get in the van thinking they're they're in charge, and then through conversation uh, and um, 
sort of Scarlett Johansson's character turning turning it back on them, she she disarms them in a similar way to Adam Pearson's character disarms Scarlett Johansson, even though it is problematic to use disability in that way. But I guess it's interesting that you mentioned Arrival because I, re- I really like that film as well and yeah. how how in Arrival there's um, there's a, a, a long-term um, goal to try and understand each other mm. and try and understand the alien way of thinking and then it changes um, Amy Adams' character. Um, and so, like, communication and, uh, is, is really very um, important. But um, in Under the Skin, we're not... I mean, the goal is never really to understand Scarlett Johansson's way of thinking, which um, is kind of... I don't know, I kind of like it in a way. Like, you don't have to explain explain the aliens method of thinking it's just there yeah that's a good point but, but also i do like arrival and how 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 the two species uh change each other mm. so I, I don't know i think there's positives and negatives to both i really agree with you about what you just said about not having to um understand the character uh under the skin that there that she doesn't ask us to infer what she's thinking as, as we go through there's very little of that compared to classic narrative cinema um and i and i think that 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 experience of cinema which if you read reviews of the film it's you know it's referred to as unadorned as being sort of stripped back um, the whole aesthetic of the film is not one that is there to make us feel comfortable um, or think that the world is beautiful or um, that people are necessarily good. It sort of d- just doesn't deal with that, I think. And, it, and mm. for me, it was hugely interesting and a, a, a big relief and a, a, a sense of a film trying to do something else that wasn't wasn't pushing us towards feeling big feelings and dramatic moments it was you know the dramatic moments were just kind of a bit a bit eerie um and and as you were saying Dave I think that you know the the, the score to the film absolutely has that sense of just being on edge at those moments and then you come back from it um so so I found it I found it really interesting from it's 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 cinematic project from that perspective of what it might be trying to do with ideas of character and observation and, and feelings that it seemed to just sort of hold those up for us to look at without without necessarily pushing us towards a, a distinct view or understanding of them. I also read that there was a there was a, a much earlier version of the script which was much more conventionally cinematic and which apparently had a scene in it where. Um, where yeah, Charlotte Hansen's character encounters two disguised aliens in a cottage somewhere in the in the countryside, one of whom was going to be played by Brad Pitt. So that would have been interesting. Um, but that sounded like a completely different film entirely. Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting that the, the trajectory this film went on was from like a properly kind of fully hot, written, proper commercial driven thing to a much more pared down um a colder kind of yeah more unadorned aesthetic that, that eventually they went for i think it took them a long time to get to that point but um that's where they ended up and i think that's that was a good choice and yeah yeah i agree and i think that the phrase that i wrote down from from something that i read about this was that the film is not about seeing the world in mental states and i think that's really that's what i was trying to say mm. that it, it being something else makes really refreshing from, from that point of view Okay, we we so at the end of our time here. Is is there anything that anyone else wants? The final word, Alex. Please. It's not a final word from me. Have you seen that Stephen has emailed in a hot take uh, <laughs> with his own perspective that I think he wished he could be here to share? Uh, I don't know how we accommodate this in a podcast context, but do you want, do you want to read it out, Alex? Absolutely not, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
Stephen is on a train this morning, so he hasn't, he hasn't been able to join us. Um, so he says, it's interesting to view under the skin in relation to Roex, the man who fell to Earth. Oh, he's androgyny, the alien gathering resource for a home planet they're unable to, um, unable to return to. Oh, he's a alien developed image camera technology. Um, another alien and tech trope like Silverman's view of Silicon Valley built by autistic community. Bowie has to become human. Temple Grandin says that she had to hold thoughts like videotapes, recordings of the behaviors of others so as to learn neurotypical behavior. The alien trope is used by autistic people to describe non-autistic behavior and vice versa. Johansson's character steals and inhabits a skin, that of a sex worker. She moves from entrapping men to forming a sort of intimacy with one. Gradually acquiring empathy, sexuality, sensuality. Food is abject, a body ritual. The cheesecake is an object and an image first before it's a pleasure. A lost baby does not need to be saved, only observed. Then there is Adam's character whose physical difference is not an image to the alien, i.e. it's not visible, which leads to questions of disability intersectionality. It's worth checking out Adam in Chained for Life, a madcap controversial art B-movie involving a largely physically disabled cast. I see Johansson as observing, skirting, then entering the social world of the human. But I also see under the skin as defamiliarizing the neurotypical world, revealing its arbitrary codes, that empathy and identification itself is a code. That's pretty much that last point that Stephen makes about how empathy and identifications are codes is very much how I, I see this. And I'm, I'm very interested in the discourse of empathy and autism. And there's something about the way in which this film posits that as a sort of learned behavior um, is, is very pleasing. You know, the, 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 ch the chat up lines that she has in the van, I found really quite funny. Um, mm. Appropriation of a language of, of seduction, of empathy and recognition um you know or take your hood down oh you know you look really handsome and <laughs> they were some of the nicest poets in in the film in the in the recognition not that 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 she's being predatory or that um you know as a, as a plot point but just purely in terms of yes this is what we do to each other in the so-called neurotypical world you know and mm. it processes it's completely sort of empathetic, normative behaviour. Trying to highlight the ridiculousness of it, and and um, especially when it when she repeats some of the lines in in a similar way, and something almost like wrote about how she just, yeah, she's learnt this, and then, I mean, I I can relate to some social situations, and and how you just you just say the scripts, and and it takes the pressure off having to actually reply for a bit or think of a response. Also wonder how, how, cause we're obviously UK based, we're, we're more familiar with, with Scot Scotland. I wonder how people outside of the UK viewed um, working, more, more working class uh, Glaswegian culture, if, if that seemed very alien to them as well people in 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 america and and elsewhere yeah I, I i was wondering something like that i was wondering if if scottish people might be quite offended by that that mm. it makes them aliens somewhere mm. yeah. but nice also to see that part of the world on screen in such a, in such a big film really because it's not some it's not generally somewhere that tends to be a location for filming, and I imagine like quite, not, there's not a huge amount of dialogue in this film, but the points at which some of them, the Scottish people with the thickest Glaswegian accents, were talking to to Scarlett or whoever. Um, I wonder if they might have had to have been subtitled in in America and places like that, uh, because there were even moments where I was like, I'm quite sure what you just said. <laughs> um, but no, for yeah, for me, it's always I, I think it's always refreshing to see a part of particularly the part of Britain that is not necessarily uh, often seen on films such like this, and I think this is a good example of one of those. And just to see real people in a real street in a real town in 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 britain it's really nice to see um and yeah they, they they're playing with it a bit because they're plonking scarlett johansson in the middle of it and no one realizes that it's her and there's a bit of a joke in that um 
but also on the other hand, I, I do find it, it nice to see that sort of part of the world represented. And it's clear, I think, that quite the people who were involved seem to, I think, have fun in this film. It seemed like, even though it's quite a cold and um, difficult film in many ways, it feels as if some of those non-actor type people who were brought in seemed like they had fun. I think they probably had fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we need to wrap up our discussion there. So thank you, everybody.